Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. 901, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler, Carriker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, we're going to talk to former Cubs third baseman Kevin Ory. He was with them during the 1998 season. And of course, we're talking about long gone summer, the home run battle between Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, the, doc- the documentary on Sunday night on ESPN TV. And today... Of course, at the top of the 9 o'clock hour, we have a big thing. Today's big thing, Michelle. Randy, before we dive into the big thing, I have a question for you. Yes. I want to turn the tables on you because someone presented this with me yesterday, and I was like, I need to ask Randy Carricker. Uh Randy, did you hear that the Lego store opened? I did not. People were lined up for blocks. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well done. Thanks for the dad joke, character. And that dad, dad joke is from Michelle. Well done. I, I, someone, my dad said that to me yesterday, and I was like writing this down. Have to give it to Randy. <laughs> so happy Tuesday morning to you, Randy. Dad joke for you. I love that. <laughs> and we'll get more of those as we move on here on 101 ESPN. Didn't mean to steal your bit, hijack your bit there. No, but that's great. I, I had love to give it. it to you. Ken Rosenthal and Evan Drellich. I want to start with this. We are so lucky now because Jeff Passan is such a spectacular insider for ESPN. And when ESPN hired Jeff away from Yahoo, they wanted him to be more of an insider than Ken Rosenthal. Well, Ken Rosenthal is still fantastic. So The Athletic has Ken Rosenthal and Evan Drellich, and ESPN has Jeff Passan and Buster Olney. So we get all of the baseball information. Even though they don't want it to get out, those guys have so many contacts and relationships that we're getting all the information. And it is, isn't it amazing that both sides can't keep their mouths shut? And this is not, I appreciate the great reporting being done by all of the baseball insiders. And that's why they're so good at their jobs. But you would think, whether you're owners or players, that you would have some sort of discussions internally saying, hey, it is not beneficial for us to leak the details of these negotiations to the public. It's making us all look bad. And that either A, they don't care, B, they're not aware of this, or C, they just can't help themselves. They have to to tell somebody what's going on and get their point of view heard. It's amazing to me. And Rosenthal and Drellich right at The Athletic, barring an uptick of COVID-19 cases that again forces the sport to shut down, Major League Baseball is increasingly likely to be played this year. The biggest remaining question is the length of the season and the acrimony it might cause, and the outcomes will hinge in part on how the Players Association reacts to the league's latest proposal. The union plans to reject, so the union is telling Ken Rosenthal and Evan Drellich, they plan to reject the league's offer of a 76-game schedule 
in which the players will get 75% of their prorated salaries for the regular season if the playoffs are completed and 50% of uh, that money if the postseason is canceled. The union now faces a choice. It can counter the league's proposal, perhaps by continuing to ask for 100% of the prorated salaries, but in a schedule shorter than its original request of 114 games, or it can submit no counteroffer and wait to see if the league makes another proposal. So that's where we are. I have trouble believing that the owners will make another offer without getting a counteroffer from the players. It seems like we're still stuck in the same place. Despite a new proposal, uh, despite it being new language of essentially the same deal, it seems like both sides are still in the same spot, which isn't promising for baseball fans. Because it doesn't really seem like either side is willing to concede enough to signal to the other side to concede. Because one one of these sides is going to have to say, okay, I recognize that you are standing firm, you are standing your ground on what you think. We're willing to give up this, whatever small concession it may be, to allow the other side to say, all right, and we will do that. And I guess the players are saying we've already agreed to reduce salaries. We've already made our concession. And I don't know which side is going to give the olive branch first, but I certainly hope somebody's clipping it off the tree and getting ready to hand it over because I'm sick of this. And if it doesn't happen, then the owners just put the hammer down with their right to implement a shorter schedule with 100% pay. And we'll have spring training in July. We'll have games in August and September, and then uh, an abbreviated, a normal, as it were, postseason in October. Meanwhile, Michelle, one note that I wanted to pass along is that former St. Louis Ram Todd Gurley has passed his physical with the Falcons. Take it or leave it, Todd Gurley will be great with the Falcons. Take it. 100% take it. I think you will, too. And maybe that's just because I really want it to happen, Mm -hmm. so I'm taking it. But... He, he is such a talented player. It was unfortunate what happened to him with injuries. I would love to see him get another shot, be healthy, and go out there and ball. He's but so fun to watch. He's really good. We have been asking you this morning with the fact that baseball appears to be pushing you away. They want Baseball essentially is asking you to hate them. And we're finding out from you why you love baseball and what it was that made you fall in love with baseball. Gosh, there's so many things. We were talking about the first games that we went to. We were talking about our first big memories. But I said this earlier in the show, and I'll keep coming back to it. I think the reason that I fell in love with baseball wasn't just the game, the beauty of the game and the way that it connected me with my family, but the way it connected me with my city. It was the first time as a kid that I realized, wow, this is something way bigger than me. And there's all of these people from our community and really across the country, because the Cardinals are a national brand, that love the same thing. And as different as we all are, we can we can all put on that shirt and, and the same laundry and cheer for the same thing. And that's a really powerful thing once you realize, hey, this is a big connector. This is a unifier in a lot of ways. And the first time you're at a game at Bush Stadium and you see everyone holding their breath for the same thing and everyone cheering for the same thing and the eruption of the crowd for the same thing, it's it's really special. And not only that, I just really miss sitting outside and having yeah. a beer and a hot dog and complaining about balls and strikes. Just the simplicity of that. That's what it's all about. You know? We are going to get to your mic drops and your texts, but this is important, Michelle. And this is in response to you from the 314. Why did why did it take the Russians so long to invade Germany? They were Stalin. Oh, man. <laughs> That's 
a really good one. It's really good. Thanks for the dad, Joe Carriker. There you go, and that was from the 314. Thank you, 314. All right, let's get to our uh, great friend Joshua with a mic drop on 101 ESPN. You're having us deflect now. (laughs) I missed all this tension. I like it, though. It's like therapy. And 30 seconds isn't nearly enough time, but (laughs) it's the rich history. It's the game's ability to pioneer. It's the shrine that was Bush Stadium, too. It's icons like Gibby and Ozzy and moments like 98 and 06. It's summers with my grandfather. It's representative of the city I love. It's America's pastime. And it's my first love. That should be a Cardinal commercial. Honestly, shout out Joshua, because that was beautiful. It really was. It was fantastic. I mean, that that made me almost want to cry, because it really is all of those things. It is. Fantastic. (sighs) Elgin is next with a mic drop. I remember as a kid, my daddy used to come wake me up at 7 o'clock in the morning and take me out to the baseball field. And so the highest fly ball I ever seen as a kid and just yell, get under it, get under it, you better not drop it. And then, you know, he took me to Cardinal games and I got to see Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa in that home run chase. So, you know, it's just engraved. See, that's that's what it does to you. It is ingrained in us. And we talked about this with Danny Mack, I believe, in a crossover last week. When we said, when you really think about all of the amazing things that generations of St. Louisans have got to see with the Cardinals. That's part of the reason we love it so much is because mm-hmm. each generation has got to see success. Each generation has the Bob Gibsons and the Lou Brocks to the Ozzie Smiths and Willie McGee's to the Mark McGuire's and uh, to the David Freezes. Uh, there's so many different things that we have seen and it's those big moments that make you love baseball. It's those teams and those players that make you fall in love with baseball. This is from the 636. I had just been transferred to St. Louis. Our company cafeteria was packed because nobody would return to their desks after lunch. It was now late afternoon. Clark hit that homer at Dodger Stadium, and the room went nuts. <laughs> We're not in Kansas anymore. Wow. <laughs> it was great. I was sitting at KMOX, and you know the uh, the, the great ceiling tiles? Are, it's like... Uh, so we've got ceiling tiles here that are like uh, six inch by six inch grates. Mm-hmm. And these were like one inch by one inch and they never got cleaned. Ooh, okay. So I'm sitting uh, under one of these and Clark hits that home run and I'm 6'2 and I jump up and my fists hit one of those grates and all kinds of dust comes out all over me after Clark had hit that home run. Years of dust. Yeah, and it hadn't been cleaned up, but that was incredible. And I've heard so many stories about people driving down the road and they see the car either looking in the rearview mirror behind them or the car in front of them. And everybody that was on a highway in St. Louis did a fist pump. Really? When Jack said, adios, goodbye, and maybe that's a winner. Wow. And how that's a connecting moment with all of us. For everybody, yeah, galvanizing. Let's hear from our friend Lisa with a mic drop. Morning, guys. I fell in love with baseball in the summer of 71 when my mom had passed away and I moved in with my grandma and grandpa. And I was riding with my grandpa in August of 71. And Bob Gibson was pitching a no-hitter. And he said, Lisa, you're a Cardinals fan. And then he said, this is a no-hitter. And I had no idea what that was. And that's when I fell in love with the game. Thanks. August 14th, 1971. Day after my birthday. And you could hear the emotion in her voice. Yeah. Gosh. And that's that, that's what baseball is able to elicit. And that's what they're ruining. I, 
I just wish that, that we could get the powers that be in a room and we could shake them Billy Madison style and say, what are you doing? Yeah. Do you know what, do you know what you're damaging here? Um, question for you, Randy. Do you think anyone who ever watched Bob Gibson pitch didn't just fall in love with baseball instantly? I don't see how you could not. I think you have to. When you watched him pitch, somebody in 1975 in his last year, Saw the competitiveness, saw the drive and the desire. I don't know how you could watch an athlete try that hard and perform that way, regardless of how effective they are at the time, and not like it. Because that's something that uh, the great ones have. Do you remember in 2012 in the NLCS when Chris Carpenter went to the mound in Game 6, and he pitched three games all year, and we were calling him Baseball Jesus. Yeah. And, because he was. Yeah. But weren't you absolutely convinced because it was Chris Carpenter that he was going to pitch a gem that day? With every fiber of my being. Yeah. You couldn't convince me that he wouldn't. Even if things started off poorly, I'd say, he's got it. Right. That's that's how much faith I had in Chris Carpenter. And that's the exact same way you felt about Gibson in 1975. This is Bob Gibson. Of course he's going to be great. Of course. And the reason, we love sports for so many reasons, but one of the main things that, that... we love is we love greatness. We love to watch people do things that we physically cannot do. And I mean, Bob Gibson is greatness personified. Mm-hmm. Anytime that I, I wish that I would have gotten to see him pitch live. I can't imagine how amazing that was, how I would have been in awe to watch him pitch and perform. Let's get one more mic drop from Janet on 101 ESPN. I fell in in love with baseball sitting in the backyard with my dad while he barbecued and drank his Griesdick Brothers beer and listening to the Cardinals and Harry Carey saying it might be, it could be, it is a home run. (laughs) Fantastic. And so many great stories like that from the 636. It's the smells and the sounds. It's the watching the, a Little League game at Pond Ballpark and then watching the Cardinals doing the same things as the kids, but with love and passion the same way. It's a child's game. It's the best game because it's a kid's game, a game that has no age. Beautifully said. It really is. And we appreciate all of your in- input via the text line, 65780, or the Rhino Shield mic drop. This has been fun, and we are glad to hear that uh, you love baseball, and we're glad to hear how you came to love baseball here on 101 ESPN. Next up, you're killing me, Smalls. Stick around. It's coming your way on Character and Smallman. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. This is always fun. Michelle always has good material. And what do you got today? You're killing me, Small. Oh, my. Oh. I took a breath. Yep. Almost stepped over it. Kyle from the 636 had texted in. He said, Smallman, don't talk over it. Don't talk over it. Don't talk over it. And I had responded to Kyle saying, thank you for the reminder. And then I still almost stepped over it. (laughs) So thank you, Colin, for being quick on the trigger there. Randy, during the commercial break, we were talking, and I want to bring our listeners into the conversation. We talked yesterday about mentally preparing ourselves 
in the event that there won't be a baseball season mm-hmm. now. I hope we don't even have to consider this. I hope both sides will come to their senses and we will see baseball in 2020. But if not, we need to have measures in place to help us cope with this. And one of the things that I'm preparing for in case that happens in my, quote, baseball bomb shelter is that I want some good baseball mm-hmm. books. I want some books that if there's no baseball, I can pour myself into and read. So if you have any suggestions, please send them in 65780 or you can tweet me at msmallman. But Randy, what's the best baseball book you've ever read? It was... By Elliot Asadoff, and it's the story of the 1919 Black Sox scandal. It's called Eight Men Out, and it became a movie, and I'll be the snooty, the book was better than the movie guy, <laughs> because it, it really was. It was a, a great read. There are several others. Uh, summer, or, October 1964 by David Halberstam was great. That was about the 1964 Cardinals. And I Had a Hammer by Hank Aaron. His autobiography Ooh, okay. is great. Writing all these down. We'll be getting them. Thank you, Randy. I've got a couple at home, so don't buy them today. Okay. okay. I'll see if I can bring you in a few. You know, there's so many great baseball books out there that I haven't read that I need to. And so many great baseball authors. It's amazing how many people... Like uh, George Will wrote one about Tony La Russa and Dave Duncan in the A's called Men at Work. Ooh, I bet that's amazing. Yeah, really good. You're killing me, Smalls. All right, Randy. I saw this headline, a story that I definitely think you might be interested in. So this happened in Texas. A guy went and he bought a car at auction. And then when he was going through the car, he found $850,000 worth cocaine lined in the car. It's in Texas, right? In Texas. Probably a Cowboys player (laughs) that owned it previously. Perhaps, yes. But he he turned it over to police. It was 74.96 pounds. And like I said, that commands approximately 850K on the street. Would you have done the same thing? Would you have turned it over? Not that you would have gone out there and tried to sell it. There would have been the thought of trying to, but no, I would have definitely turned it over to the police. But I don't have enough knowledge of that industry to A, know if it's real, and B, if it is, know how much it's worth. And I don't believe I have any I don't think I have any real cocaine expert friends that would be able to help me out. So I probably would have just said, hey, my my car was really struggling up the hill when I got to the cops (laughs) and uh, I found this. So my thought process was twofold. One, I would be nervous to go to the cops and say, hey, I found this. Not that they wouldn't believe me, but there's certainly going to be a lot of questions. Okay, so you bought this car. You know, we need to then look into you and make sure that you don't have any ties into this. It just seems like a lot of work. Number two, I was thinking, I'm surprised that the person who bought the car didn't try to find out from the auction who sold the car. Oh, yeah. And then go to that person and say, hey finder's fee, something of that nature. <laughs> Ooh, that's a good call. Even though it's not what we should do from a moral standpoint, from a legal standpoint, I'm just surprised somebody didn't try to go that route. Cocaine is a hell of a drug. That's right. Now, here's the thing. If you're if you're driving around and perhaps you've been injured in the past in an accident, maybe you were a, a driver, and somebody puts a, a kilo of BAM underneath your vehicle and the police <laughs> start chasing you, maybe it'll get you to drive fast again. Kilo of Bam, Randy. (laughs) Do you have as many... I'm going fast again. I'm driving fast again. True. Do you have as many synonyms for the devil's lettuce as you do for cocaine? Oh, uh, way more for devil's lettuce, yeah. Can we hear some? Oh, well, we've got the Chiba, and of course you've got the Puff the Magic Dragon, and you've got the Acapulco Black. 
Uh, you've got uh, Bam Bam. Now, Bam is Coke. Bam Bam is uh, is marijuana. A very important distinction. Yeah, no doubt about very it. Very important to, yeah. to make sure you include one or two yeah. Bams in that. The, the wacky weed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Chiba. Yeah, there's, there's all kinds. You're killing me, Small. Oh, man, Randy, you make me laugh. All right. Major League Baseball has accused Angel Hernandez of eavesdropping on an investigative call last year. That's mm-hmm. according to Daniel Kaplan of The Athletic, umpire uh, involved in this investigation. The league was conducting an investigation into why a 2019 game between the Red Sox and the Rays was delayed for nearly 20 minutes over umpire confusion about the rules. This is from CBSSports.com. The Red Sox ultimately played the remainder of the game under protest, but didn't decide to continue after the game. Hernandez was the acting crew chief for the game. He had a call with the league about the incident. An MLB official said Hernandez stayed on the line as the league discussed the situation with a different umpire. Wow. Well, I'll tell you this. Every time he steps on the field, it should be a fireable offense. (laughs) But since they haven't gotten him for that, and this is one of the guys that resigned back in 2000. He was one of the umpires that quit. And they brought him back. He quit and they brought him back. And he is the absolute worst. For this, he should be fired. But will he? No, because they've had so many opportunities to get rid of Angel Hernandez. Major League Baseball has. And they haven't done it yet. It's not going to happen. He's going to die on the field. And it's going to be of natural causes. He'll be like 94. And And I wonder why. Why do they keep him around? Yeah. I have no idea. Because like, he's not the good. Right. If they if umpires were held accountable, he'd be the first guy to go. I always said that I think that refs and umps should have to answer postgame pressers. Agreed hundred percent. If if you're yeah. making a decision that is going to impact the outcome of a game, you should have to explain your reasoning why. Here's one thing about this guy in particular. If the players would decide not to play and they would have no baseball, Angel Hernandez would go to teams and say, hey, people buy tickets to see me. And he truly believes that, that he's part of the show. Well, that's reason enough to not let him on the field because it is not about you. You're supposed to be an invisible neutral party. The best umpires are the ones that we don't know the names of. Well, according to the story in The Athletic, uh, the letter that they were referencing said that Hernandez would uh, or that Joe Torre would be stripping Hernandez of his acting crew chief status. And Hernandez's lawyer responded. He didn't eavesdrop. He was invited onto the call. MLB told him he made the correct decision. Go get him, Joe. Maybe that'll get him to resign if he's not a crew chief anymore. I don't know. Yeah, probably not. It seems like something he might continue to fight because yeah. it's going to be about him. He's a bad umpire. He's the worst. Thank you, Michelle. You're welcome, Randy. And thank you very much for joining us for You're Killing Me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. Next up, as we celebrate Long Gone Summer, the documentary about the home run chase of 1998 between McGuire and Sosa, Kevin Ory, the former Cubs third baseman, was there to see what Sammy did, and he'll join us next on 101 ESPN. It's time for Long Gone Summer on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Tracy Bibb and Allstate Insurance. Text QUOTE to 65780 to see how you can save. All right, Michelle's idea about, well, asking me about my favorite book has spawned a a plan, an idea. (laughs) So, this is interesting. What are you thinking? Well, we've been getting so many 
amazing suggestions from people, not only on the text line, but I just tweeted it at it tweeted it at M. Smallman, and we're getting great responses there. And someone, one of our great listeners, suggested that since there's no baseball, you and I should start a baseball book club. It's a great idea. Where we choose a book, we get all of the character and Smallman listeners who are interested on board, we pick a date, we start it, and then we can review... You know, however many chapters, and we can read it together. Now, there are a lot of books about the Cardinals. There are a lot of Cardinal-type books. There's a really good one called The Cardinal Way, uh, and it's recent, and it tells... It's got some great stories about how the Cardinals got to where they are. It's basically about from the start of the Jeff Luno era on. Oh. Um, and that one is really interesting. So we need to get the response of the people, though, is it? Do we want to go with strictly a cardinal book, the best cardinal book, or something that's regarded as just a great baseball book? Like Moneyball, something like Moneyball, that? Moneyball, yeah. Well, you know what we can do? Everyone send in your suggestions, either to 65780, or like I said, I tweeted it at M. Smallman, and we can crowdsource the top three or four choices, Randy, and then we will put out a Twitter poll. And everyone Great can idea. vote. And we can let the people make their voices heard, and then that's going to be our book club selection. And then I have to read a book. We have to read a book. Okay. I can do that. From the and by we're, by the way, we're still efforting Kevin Ori, the former Cubs. Oh, and we've got Kevin with us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Uh, Kevin with Michelle Smallman. This is Randy Carricker. Thanks so much for taking some time with us. How are you doing today? Well, doing well. Thanks for having me, guys and gals. How are you? We're doing well, Kevin. I don't know if you just heard our conversation. We're talking about the best baseball books we've ever read. Have you ever read a baseball book that you love and would recommend to us? Hmm, good question. Um, Doug Glanville, former teammate, um, is an author, and I got. I'm trying to think of the name of his book. Um, I'll get it for you because uh, I've got the internet right here. You can pull it up quicker than I can. Let's see, Doug Glanville book. <laughs> Google is an amazing the, thing. The, the, the game from where I stand oh. okay. is. Uh, Doug's, and it was interesting just mainly because, you know, I kind of, well, I played with Doug and, and, and lived through his writing, so it was, it was pretty interesting to have, you know, his perspective and comments and quotes, uh, very, a great book, but most importantly, um, just pure honesty in the book, and, and you know, and that, that's the things I want to read, you know, the, the truth, uh, and Doug was really good about that, so check that one out. The game from where I stand. All right, we will. Kevin Ori with us on 101 ESPN. And uh, you had an unusual season in 1998 because you were there for four months of the Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire chase, and then you got moved to the Marlins at the trade deadline that year. But what are your strongest <laughs> memories of especially June and July with Sammy? Oh, man. Yeah, that was talk about a turn of events. You know, I would love to stay and be a part of that. My baseball is business, but um, I think the the craziest part was just really the the shock of of watching him basically hit every other ball. If it wasn't going out of the ballpark, it was going off the fence, and it didn't matter which part of the the field. You know, instead of Sammy being a pull hitter, he started to use all all parts of the field and, and spray the ball from foul pole to foul pole and he was able to do that with, with power. So it was really, I think the hardest, the, the funnest part was, was watching that. There was also a torturous uh, part of it because you're trying to figure out, well, why can't I do that? What do I have to do 
uh, it was like wiffle ball. The Sammy, the game reminded me of backyard wiffle ball uh, growing up, which was, you know, my, my favorite game, my favorite sport of all time is, is wiffle ball. It, it was great. And Sammy treated it like wiffle ball. He was having that much fun and uh, just smacking it around. Uh, 20 home runs in a month of June was, was, was pretty insane. But I think you're trying to take all that in, but yet try to take care of your, your own game. Uh, and, you know, yeah, there was more distractions. You know, I guess you could say it could make things a little bit more difficult because, you know, it was a bit of a spectacle. It was like yeah, a true marketing machine every day uh, in the clubhouse. And it, it, it truly did become, you know, the Sammy Sosa show. We had, he had his own music. He had songs named after him. And uh, he would play those songs before the game. And <laughs> we'd listen to those songs. He'd dance to those songs. It was, we'd just kind of look around. It was, it was, it was almost comical. Uh, but, He'd get out there between the lines, you know, and he was he was certainly delivering. So, uh, pr- pretty amazing, but definitely um, plenty of distractions there. If you let them get the best of you, your your game certainly could be affected. Kevin, we spoke to Will Lennon, one of the producers of Long Gone Summer yesterday, and he said one of the things that he really noticed when he was creating this film is when they interviewed Mark McGuire, McGuire talked about the pressure he felt during the home run chase, but that Sammy Sosa didn't really say anything about feeling the pressure, that he more enjoyed the moment. And it seems like as you're describing the way that you viewed Sammy during that time, dancing, playing the music, that he really wasn't feeling a lot of pressure then. Well, I mean, I don't know how you can't. I mean, even especially then, I mean, just going out and putting on a baseball uniform, there's tremendous pressure uh, on a daily basis. But uh, I got to say, it's probably one of the biggest things he did was was channel that and, and, and make it fun. Now, you know, when you're hitting a home run every day, it, it does, the game is a whole lot more fun. But, um, you know, he did. He had a, a, a comedy about him, and it, it really he did not, appear to take the game that seriously and uh it just it, it seemingly worked to, to his advantage um but yeah sammy's always kind of been like that but a lot of laughter a lot of smiling a lot of dancing and man i've never heard anybody in the locker room play a song about themselves so often so it, it, it was it was really it was highly unusual but guys I have to give the team a lot of credit because uh teams teammates everybody was was very patient with everything and you know in a competitive world uh, sports is so competitive some guys can be envious uh, maybe not want to see that maybe not want to listen to his music uh, but you know guys managed pretty well and, and, and kept the, the team intact and you know there really wasn't any major issues you know from any of that but uh, you know, I think that was probably one of his keys was, was really just trying to stay loose and relax and have a good time and, and then be patient at the plate. And he, he was doing that. He was drawing more walks and, as I said, using the whole field. And as a result, his numbers his numbers flourished, to say the least. Uh, it, was, it was pretty interesting. It was just, I, I was unfortunate that I couldn't see it till the end, you know, uh, personally. But you know, I did get to see it on uh, on TV and watch. Uh, and, um, you know, we, did, we, we certainly watched history. But, uh, you know, everybody has their opinions about it. And, Asterix uh, by both of their names, but uh, you know, watching it was something. You know, it really was. It was. It, it almost seemed it, it too magical. You know, wiffle ball aside, that, that somebody could actually do this in a major league baseball game time and time again. 
and they both did it. It, it was pretty amazing. Kevin Ory, who was with the Cubs in 1998, is with us on 101 ESPN, and uh, uh, I was naive to performance enhancers at the time. You were a player in the clubhouse. Were, were you educated? Did you have any idea or any suspicions as this whole thing unfolded? Well, you know, everybody has their, certainly has their opinion. And, and for me, I wasn't that educated on it. You know, I was young. I was still, you know, I was still excited to be in the big leagues. I was concerned about doing the right thing and, and earning respect from my, my teammates and, and, you know, just playing it cool, you know, playing it like I belong to be here and, uh, and nothing outside of that. So, you know, I think certainly as the years went on, uh, yeah, I became a little bit more educated. I started understanding that, you know, it, it's not you, you know, it's tough because you, you see something and you know, it's just, it's not normal and you know how hard you're working and you know what you're doing, you know, what, the time you're putting in in the weight room in the same weight room as you know as these very guys and yet your results aren't there so you know I I, I, I gotta say I disagree with it I disagree with it wholeheartedly and I and I still do today I mean it's uh, it, it's tough because you know you, you get one chance you get a very small window uh, and for those who even make it to the big leagues and then uh, you know to know that some of this other illegal stuff is actually going on and costing guys, you know, jobs, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's kind of a bit of a bittersweet scenario. So, uh, I became educated quickly, but it did take a while. And, uh, you know, it's funny. I had people, you, know, you could say there's some teammates that would come up to me and, you know, ask me, you know, over the years, like, what, what are you doing? What, what, what are you waiting on? Because I'd retire today to become your agent. If you, you know, if, if I, decided to go down that path and uh you know i didn't but you know here we are talking about all these home runs still so you can you kind of understand why why guys have done it and continue to do it but uh certainly doesn't mean that i that i agree with it at all because that that uh they say that that, that, that stuff whatever you want to call it makes you know a bad player good a good player great a great player a hall of famer and uh that, that's a pretty factual statement Kevin, when you're in the eye of the storm, sometimes the conversations mm-hmm. are different than when you take a step out and you know, you're with the Cubs and then you are traded away. And when you uh-huh. when you got to Florida, when you got with the Marlins, were the conversations surrounding the home run race different with your teammates then, especially as it continued to pick up? When you talk about suspicions and things like that, I, I wonder how other players around baseball viewed it at that time, if they were along for the ride or if they were asking those tough questions. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a little of each, um, you know, there were far more, far more players out there involved in, you know, I even realized that the, at the ripe old age of 25, um, but I, I could say it wasn't going to Florida and I was over there with a, a young team, a very young team uh, blossoming, but not ready. It was the year after they won the World Series, so uh, they made some moves, made some trades, and some changes. So it was a totally different atmosphere from, from Chicago. Oh my gosh, it was it was polar opposite. You went from the excitement of Wrigley and, and, and the race to uh, you know Joe Robbie Stadium it was a football stadium with with barely any fans. Uh, serious heat and rain. Uh, it, it was just uh, it was a, it was a difficult environment, uh, humbling environment. But um, I, 
there were some guys that would joke about it from time to time, but um, it wasn't that. I think they were just kind of uh, uh, along for the ride, taking it all in and, and then wondering what was going on. But I, I can say it wasn't like openly discussed, you know, on a daily basis where guys were making comments or, or making fun of those guys. You know, it, 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 I think it was all this developed a little bit later. Yeah, and over time, and people have more time to think about it and, and, and understand it, and then realize that hmm, then maybe there's something else here uh, than you know just some crazy magical season for both of these guys. But you know, it wasn't just those guys that people were talking about or wondering about. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of other guys, but um, to hit that many home runs in the season, uh, it's pretty remarkable. So people are going to ask questions, but uh, not. Those questions you're talking about, I just didn't hear a lot of those difficult questions at the time. And truthfully, part of me wishes maybe, maybe you did hear a lot more of it. But you know, the game was exciting. There was too much going on, and then nobody was trying to blow that momentum. Uh, but I, I think it did. I know it got out of control. So you know, you know, whose fault is it? But it's really hard to say. But you know, the game thrived as a result. And you know how that goes. That that sometimes can get in the way of you know what's right or what's wrong. And you know, in my opinion, still, hey Kevin, one, wrong. Yeah, one last thing before we let you go: Are you going to watch on Sunday night? And are they pleasant memories, despite what you you just talked about and, and the suspicions? And now with McGuire, at least the knowledge, because he admitted it. But looking back twenty two years ago, are those fun memories for you? Yeah, I mean, you, can't, you can never lose sight of that. They are, but uh, I mean, I think it's a great question. There's going to be part of me. Sometimes I don't want to go back to certain scenarios. You know, it just. It's um, baseball is very taxing mentally, physically. It is a, an unbelievable grind that uh, really only the players can understand. But uh, I never want to lose sight of you know a negative moment or, or getting traded, which was very difficult for me. It took me a while to get over that. But um, you know, it'll, it was. I will watch absolutely. Um, I'm really intrigued. I haven't seen Sammy in a long time, and really looks looks different right now. So I'm intrigued what he's going to say, and then. Uh, you know, I have a pretty good memory, so I, I look forward to, to seeing just how accurate and, and really how honest uh, these guys are. So, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely watch it, but I'm not going to lose sleep over uh, anything negative. So it, it'll be fun. Well, we appreciate you taking some time with us today. Thanks so much. Enjoy the rest of your day. Will do, guys. Thank you very much. Take care. It. That is Kevin Ory, former Cubs third baseman, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Sammy does look dramatically different than he looked in 1998. He does. He's, he's gained weight. Yes, Randy. That's it. You <laughs> nailed it. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. We're going to cross things over to Danny Mac, who's here with Scoops with Danny Mac. It's next on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs, the crossover on 101 ESPN. Scoops with Danny Mac coming up from 10 to 11 here on 101 ESPN as we close down this edition of Carriker and Smallman. Dan McLaughlin is in the studio with us. Of course, Dan is the voice of the Cardinals on FS Midwest when they're playing. And... Uh, he was also, <laughs> thank as you, he, Randy. <laughs> <laughs> also, an, an accomplished baseball player, played college ball at Lindenwood, and uh, accomplished is taking it really too far. No, if, if you play college ball, that's accomplished. Oh that's yeah, really without fine. a doubt. Yeah, but the other thing is, and anybody who listens to you knows, and I know because I've known you for such a long time, 
that you have a true passion for the sport. Love the game. And we've been asking people today, what made them fall in love with baseball? What was it for you? Playing wiffle ball in my backyard in South mm-hmm. St. Louis, where my mom currently lives. Uh, we had a backyard that was just fun. We made a makeshift stadium out of it. Uh, playing catch with my father, which I'm sure a lot of people have done, sons and daughters. I used to play catch with my daughters all the time. I always try to mention the girls, too, yep. because it's important that we do that. I always mm-hmm. do that during the games. Absolutely. Um, probably that. Uh, going to the ballpark the first time was just an amazing experience. I remember one of the great experiences I had as a kid was my dad was able, just celebrated, if you want to call it a celebration, it was the anniversary of my dad's 20th uh, passing. He, he's been dead now for two decades. So I always think about sports as being the thing that brought us together. So that's kind of why my love of baseball was there. And my dad scored tickets at the old ballpark right behind home plate. I don't know how he got them, but he got them. We were in the front row behind home cool. plate. Wow. And if you remember where the umpires would come out from behind home plate at Bush Stadium, too, that's where they used to keep the football Cardinals equipment under there. The umpire's room was there. And so Bruce Souter closed out a game, and Jerry Davis was a St. Louis native mm-hmm. and an umpire, and um, they had set it up. I guess my dad was a drinking buddy of Jerry's, and so they had set it up to have him flip me a ball when the game was over. So they came you know, through the the little... Okay, how old are you here, Bob? Man, I'm, I'm young, so Souter is still here. I'm... I'm you know, 83, 84. Yeah. So I'm, I was going to say eight years old, maybe nine okay. years old. Um, anyway, he goes, Daniel, something like that. You know, <gasps> yeah, my eyes light up. <laughs> yes, sir. And he, boom, flips me the, the finished ball from the game. Wow. And I still have that ball. That's incredible. I've told Jerry Davis that story, too. It's it, it, He remembers it. It's an incredible story. And just so thankful that he did that and it was set up. And I thought... I'm hooked for life, man. This is as good as it gets. That's one of those things that you can see in your mind's eye right now, that ball coming to you, right? I can picture everything about it. I can picture the grounds crew behind home plate. That's where they used to sit. They would sit back there. The grounds crew would. And the next night starter would chart the game behind home plate in street clothes. So it could be John Tudor or Danny Cox or whomever that was. But he would be there charting for a while. His, you know, it wasn't sabermetrics. It was old school charting the game. And that's what he was doing the night before. And the Costello captain for the field ushers would sit back there, too. That's right. The the white Costello cap. That's right. He would be there. My boss. I also saw George Foster um, the same night. I might have been the same night because um, we got those tickets like a couple times. He hit a foul ball, and it went straight back, and there was just a little cutout. I mean, the tiniest cutout in the the screen behind home plate, and somehow it went right through it, and it went thump right on the guy's chest, oof, like that, and he just went, he's, he was a rather large man, and it just dropped into his lap. And he said, here you go, like that, and just came it behind me and handed me that ball, too. So those are the two things I remember. One Usher story about George Foster. Was he with the Mets then? This is when he was with the, yeah, I think he was with the Mets. So I am, for for whatever reason, one night I'm handling the third base line. Uh, So I'm the the third base dugout Usher. Usually I, I was always on the Cardinal side. For whatever reason, I was on the Mets side this time. 
And during warm-ups, I'm out during pregame because I have to watch the crowd, make sure nobody comes down on the field. And Foster is playing catch, getting ready for the game, and all of a sudden, boom, I get hit right in the temple, and I go down like a ton of bricks. And I was out, and I look up, and there's George Foster <laughs> looking down at me. I said, you okay, man? I said, yeah, I'm okay. And I got up, and I was fine. I might have been concussed. So several years ago... Down in Arizona, he's signing autographs during spring training, and I tell him this story. Did he remember it? Yeah. That's awesome. And he signs <laughs> a picture. I still got it at home. Randy, sorry for hitting you in the head. <laughs> That's awesome. I used to go. Do you guys? I used to go to the ballpark as a kid um, in high school when a buddy of mine finally could drive. And so we would sneak into the ballpark um, before batting practice, and this is back before, I mean, there was really tight security, clearly, but we knew one of the ticket takers, mm-hmm. and then we knew one of the guys that would allow you, if you had the field box seats, to get down low, and I would go watch Ozzy take ground balls, awesome. and that was my, I, I enjoyed watching that, and watching Mark Witten throw, more so during, you know, BP and stuff, more so than even the game. I loved it. That I mean, was I so just, much fun. I just loved everything about it. I... And when now I'm starting to get all mushy. I, I, know, I just I, I just therapy. miss it. Man. Just miss it. Miss it uh, miss it dearly. I really do. We've opened it up to the listeners. We've gotten text, mic drops all day. Every everyone has a story like that. I hope we don't lose it. Uh, I'm concerned about that. I I am that the, the damage that's being done to the sport, although it could be short-lived, mm-hmm. people will come back, especially if they come up to an agreement. Um I do think, I don't know if you guys feel this way, like we, we live and die with this, we talk about it every day, we follow it so closely. I, I'm not sure the average sports fan really follows it as closely as we are, because there's a lot more important things going on, whether it be the coronavirus, unemployment, social unrest, and then baseball players and owners can't figure the same, what? Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like, oh, they'll be back, it'll be fine, and I don't know if that's going to happen, and, mm-hmm. and that's the damage that can be done with the sport. My podcast co-host is from Connecticut, not a big baseball fan, big NBA guy. And even he texted me and said, what is baseball doing? What are they doing? Right. So while I don't think they're following it as, as closely, I think sports fans who are casual baseball fans are looking at baseball with the side eye. Like, what are you guys doing here? I think we're we're going to play one way or another. It's just a matter of how long that season's going to be. And it would be great. It would be awesome. And I would put a premium on trying to have that thing done by tomorrow so that when Rob Manford goes to the uh, podium or wherever they're going to do the draft, it's going to be a virtual draft. So wherever he's hunkered down, bunkered down, whatever it is, um, that he comes up to the mic and says, for the first uh, comment of the 2020 draft, we have baseball coming up in Mm -hmm. 2020. And we'll begin on this, and this is what we're going to do, and here's the spring training, boom, boom, boom. And now let's start with the 2020 draft and look forward to baseball. I mean, that would be great, and it would put a lot of this stuff to rest. That would be fantastic. One other thing. Do you want to join a book club, a baseball book club? Yeah, I, I read baseball books nonstop. We're going to have a character and Swalman uh, book club. So you have to give us some ideas, too. Uh, what am I? I need to look. I got it on my phone. I'll, I'll give you the suggestion. But it's really an interesting book on the sabermetric look of baseball. Really interesting. and it, it But it's got a lot of the 
the players quoted that are still in the game today, and I mean prominent players, about how they go to driveline and they get uh, situated with all different things on their body to measure arm speed, bat speed, launch wow. angle. I mean, it's really it's fascinating. Sounds great. We'll do it. All right, let's do it. What do we got on uh, Scoops with Danny Mac? I'm going to visit with Frank Veverito, the president of the uh, St. Louis Sports Commission, Lord one of the Frank. great people in our community, but... We're, we're missing not only the major sports, but a lot of the Olympic sports that were scheduled to be here, the NCAA tournament. So where is that? And the Mutual Awards, too. What are they going to do if um, you know we can't come together in November? So all that will be covered uh, coming up with Frank. We'll be listening. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Uh, great job today by our producer, Tommy Freeze Pops Carroll. Thank you, Freeze Pops. Thank you, guys. We'll talk tomorrow. You bet. Colin, as always, doing great work. Colin will be with Danny Mack. Thank you, sir. And, Michelle, it's always fun to spend the morning with you. Always, Randy. See you tomorrow. And we will be back at it tomorrow. For all of us, thanks for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. And until tomorrow, let's have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.